The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks, and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Everyone listening to this show has a mental image of what a unit of USCT, United States Colored Troops, looked like. Whether we think of bronze figures in relief on the 54th Massachusetts Monument in Boston, or see the actors in the movie Glory, or that famous photograph of E Company, 4th USCT, standing in line looking sidelong at the camera. But how many of us picture USCT as anything but infantry? We'll change that image tonight as we talk with Sergeant Major Marvin Nicholson, reenactor and living historian of Battery B, 2nd U.S. Colored Light Artillery, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you this beautiful June evening in 2014 from the third floor of the Brewster Building, on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the university or any of its departments, its outgoing dean, its incoming dean, anyone, anywhere, just myself, my guest will likewise do the same as always. It is a beautiful night, a good night to talk about Civil War history, and a good night for you to send comments or questions if you have them by email, as the announcer says. Uh, it was, uh, 
corresponding with listeners this week, and one of them pointed out that on, on some show I, I indicated, I, I don't know, some uh, discouraging comment about getting email. I think I was referring perhaps to some ill-tempered email I may have once received over the past 10 years. But generally, uh, it's welcome, and I do enjoy hearing from from you with your ideas for who to have on the show or uh, opportunities for us to meet if I'm out speaking somewhere. So feel free to send your messages, and I will certainly do my best to get back to you uh, quickly. If not distracted by all the things going on, Stanley Cup tournament about to end, but my Red Wings have been out of it, so I've lost interest. The World Cup about to start. That will be uh, something for all of us, wherever you're listening, to share in over the next week or two. Uh, I'd like to say hello to folks in uh, Oxford, North Carolina, who were kind enough to have me out to their library uh, and give a talk earlier this week and ask a lot of really interesting questions. It was a, a very pleasant way to spend an afternoon, and I appreciate the invitation. Next week, uh, we'll be back with the last show of the academic year season. Bjorn Skaptison from the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop will be joining me to talk about doing podcasts and uh, video uh, book signings and other ways of using social media to communicate with the Civil War world and also talk about his own scholarship in the field. So that should be very interesting. Please join us for that. I've got some good shows lined up for the fall. We'll come back early in September with more guests. Uh, we'll, we'll just run reruns throughout the rest of the summer, and I'll be away lining up new shows. Among other things, not uh, next week, but the week after, the June roughly, it was the 21st to 29th, I will be driving, uh, or sitting on the bus, I should say, with Matterhorn Holidays, on their hallowed ground bus tour through Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, going to Civil War battlefields, talking about them, uh, and uh, seeing the sites. There are still seats available on the bus if you're interested in joining us. It uh, it was a great time last year. I really learned a lot and enjoyed it, and the, the Matterhorn uh, travel folks were kind enough to invite me to uh, lead another such tour this year, so I hope... Uh, perhaps be some Civil War talk radio listeners among this year's travelers. Uh, look them up, give them a call, uh, join us. It is, it's not cheap, I gather, from looking at the brochure, but, you know, they got to pay me something, so that's what happens. Actually, it's quite nice. The bus is nice. The hotels are nice. It's a, a very pleasant way to learn about this momentous part of our history. Uh, you can also... Well, you can learn all kinds of ways. There are the numerous books from all the guests we have on the show, which if you can bestir yourself to do so, you're, if you can order them through our website, www.impedimentsofwar.org, run by Mark Gaffney, there you can click on the Amazon button next to the various books of authors who've been on the show, and that sends a few pennies uh, to the website and helps it keep it going. Please consider that. Uh, and you can donate to uh, the show itself. Always welcome. Always glad to get extra cash to uh, take with me on the bus tour so I can buy things at every National Park Service uh, site. Uh, it's impossible to resist finding new books. And that's also how we find new guests for the show. Which, to bring it full circle, you can also 
contribute to by sending an email telling me who you'd like to have on the show, and we'll arrange for that. Sometimes, however, I find a guest myself, sometimes just by uh, being out there in the world. A few weeks ago, I was at Plymouth, North Carolina for a Living History weekend. They were uh, doing all kinds of Civil War things. The uh, the the Ram Albemarle, CSS, uh, CSN uh, Albemarle was sailing up and down the Roanoke River. It's a three-quarter size model, quite an impressive uh, uh, boat going back and forth. And reenactors were marching about and struck up a conversation uh, with a member of Battery B, 2nd Regiment U.S. Colored Light Artillery. His name is Marvin Nicholson, and he was kind enough to agree to come on the show and talk about uh, his unit and, and his experiences. Uh, Mr. Nicholson, are you there? Yes, yes. Good evening. Well, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, uh, as I just mentioned, you and I met uh, up, up at Plymouth, North Carolina a little while ago uh, uh, during uh, reenactment, and we didn't get to talk too much, so just to get us started, uh, I'm guessing you don't reenact continuously uh, do you have a day job or are you retired from working or what 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 do you do when you're not uh well, in battery b well um i i am retired retired uh some 20 20 years ago and mm. that's how i got into this i can i'm um i'm from north carolina grew up in richmond moore county my uh folks were sharecroppers so if you don't know what that is, you'll have to talk, ask some, ask some people around what sharecropping is. <laughs> but uh, I went to the service uh, as a paratrooper and um, went out to California, Southern California for college uh, with a bachelor's degree in public education. And then I, I did most of my um, work in education, public education up in northern New Jersey. And that's uh, the system that I retired from, the New York, New Jersey school system as a school administrator, I have a master's from uh, Seton Hall University. But uh, to get to the subject, yes, um, we get, um, so I returned to Horry County, South Carolina, that's just uh, the county that Myrtle Beach is in, and um, that's, my wife is from that county, and I, um, I just happened incidentally come across watching public television something about needing some African Americans to participate in, in something about the Civil War. Uh, unfortunately, as a retired public school educator, I knew very, very little about African Americans in that uh, war, in that time. And uh, I didn't know there were even any in there, especially uh, uh, from what I've come to learn. But, but my point is, so when I investigated, it was just recruiting for a group of um, people down in Charleston, South Carolina, forming a unit of the 54th, 54th Massachusetts, Company mm-hmm. I, down in Charleston. Uh, the Confederate reenactors down there had really uh, gotten together with um, uh, some of the um, people that were interested working in the, working with the um, historical situation. And so they were forming that. What happened was when I had my, I went to my first battle, which was the Battle of Dingles Mill, it's in Sumter County, uh, Sumter, Sumter County, South Carolina, and it was it was a historical significance to me because that was one of the areas that the 54th actually came. In fact, we used the same route that they used 
to uh, attack the town of Dingles Mill. So that battle. So I was I was really hooked on that. Uh, first of all, being an educator, but really just not know, just being very very ignorant of our my race in this in this war in this time. Believe me, then I became hooked. Uh, shortly afterwards, we were I joined I joined that unit. It was the fifth fourth. It was an infantry unit. Of course, I was mm-hmm. much younger then. I was in my 50s. And first thing, I remember that, that, that Christmas, we had we marched in Charleston, the Charleston Christmas Parade. It was, and this was the, was the significance of it. Our unit, the colored unit, marched uh, side by side with Confederate units uh, through this whole parade. That was the first thing we did. And then... Uh, Getting in some of the battles, getting you getting acquainted with the with the so-called hobby. It wasn't a hobby to me by that time. I had become totally uh, affected, uh-huh. <laughs> just just like uh, addicted is a good word. Uh, the learning about the fifty fourth, and that was just about all you heard. And you know, it's it's people don't realize that even though the movie Glory and the fifty fourth is the most well uh, catalog, um, catalog in our media that uh, actually the 54th wasn't really uh, as far as African-American troops. There were over 38 uh, infantry regiments, uh, nine light artillery unit regiments, of which I came to be part of one, uh, 24 heavy artillery, and some cavalry units. But, but, but this all, the whole the whole picture of that time started to unfold to me, and this is what I was able to see. Now, let, let's, let's realize that um, before this time, the early 90s, African Americans, of course, would see these reenactments going on, and there's one gentleman in our, in our unit that experienced that. He said back in the 60s, over in Sumter County, he would always, we'd always see these reenactments, and he was interested in history, and he'd ask, his parents to take him one year. So they did. And they, they got out of the car and started walking towards um, the area, the encampment. And he said, this state patrolman approached them. And he was, he said, well, I guess we're going to get arrested. And remember, this is back during uh, segregation still. Mm-hmm. Um, well, shortly afterwards anyway. And he, uh, and the officer came up and said, did you know that at this battle, the Battle of Dingle's Mill, that there were colored troops. And so this gentleman said that actually floored him. And since that time, he's become totally addicted to it, too. So it was those kind of experiences. Because shortly after that, and of course starting to read um, and learn more about uh, the fifth, a lot about the 54th, because as a member, we were invited by the was Wilmington, uh, Williams, Williamsburg Historical Society in 1998 to um, place a marker, a roadside marker for the first, for the first colored uh, lieutenant with the 54th uh, officer, really, first colored mm-hmm. officer. As you know, at that time, the officers were all white, and that was even true even up through uh, World War II. And the soldiers were, the footmen were, of course, uh, African-American. And, and after that, we were invited down to Brooklyn Gardens to, uh, for a ceremony to dedicate 
one of the 54th, which was a sculpture that's placed there now by Don Hutzman, a uh, sculptor from, As- from Aspen, Colorado. And so we were taking part in these different activities and, and reenactments. Mm-hmm. Nearing the end of the, uh, but back on the 54th, what, what maybe a lot of people do not quite fathom is the fact that, yes, there were actually nine actual black troop uh, battles before that July 18th, 1863, 54. Now, we all know the story's pretty much, even though it's Hollywood, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I think we, and I, and I say this as an educator, we learn a lot of our history from Hollywood. True. Uh, probably, probably a lot of that period of time we get our history from two movies, probably Uncle Tom's Cabin and Gone with the Wind. And, of course, I've found that nothing is, you know, nothing is further from the truth. But there were the, there were there were some nine battles, um, like the an out of mounds Missouri battle in eight, eight, six, 1862. Mm-hmm. and then the township Florida by the first South Carolina uh, Colored Troops, which became thirty third USCT. That's they're in South Carolina. And these are the units that claim that they were really the first black troops, although the movie says that the fifty fourth was the first. Mm-hmm. And we know about the fifty fourth. The fifty fourth is what I called the Jackie Robinson of of the Civil War. <laughs> uh, they were basically handpicked. Uh, most of them were, were, were educated. Uh, the grandson of uh, Frederick, uh, Frederick Douglass had a couple of sons, two, three sons in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of them were, had been uh, teachers, uh, artists, but they were from the North, the Midwest, and Canada, and they were sort of handpicked because they knew what they had to do. They were the, the intent by the governor of Massachusetts, of course, as everyone knows in the story, was to prove that colored black troops could, could fight in the Civil War. But, mm-hmm. So, so that was they were sort of um, they weren't like like the first South Carolina who were freed slaves by the uh, approaching Union forces there on the South Carolina coast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, even before the Emancipation Pro- Proclamation. And, of course, we know all about the fact that the war was not fought to free the slaves from the, uh, from the Lincoln and, of course, Northern point of view. It was to um, preserve the Union. But um, so uh, we, Which evolved over time. Uh, Marvin, let me just interrupt you briefly because we need to take a short break. Sure. We're going to come back and talk more about uh, how... You've shown how the 54th has shaped public perception of black participation in the war, and we'll talk more about uh, how it goes beyond the 54th and especially how uh, your unit uh, brings a different view of Civil War history to the public. We'll do all that in just a minute. We're talking today with Marvin Nicholson of Battery B, 2nd Regiment U.S. Colored Light Artillery, Civil War Reenactors. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking today with Marvin Nicholson. He's Sergeant Major of the 2nd Regiment U.S. Colored Light Artillery, Battery B, Civil War reenactors. We talked in our first segment about, uh, we talked about, Marvin, how you got into the uh, reenacting world, the Civil War world, uh, from initially knowing uh, very little about African-American participation in the war. And I think that's true of a lot of people, the movie Glory changed that for a lot of people, but that movie came out 25 years ago, and I wonder, do you think today we have another generation of, of people, uh, black and white, who are really unaware of the level of African-American participation? It's becoming less so because when you go to the reenactment now, you will see African-American um, as uh, attendees, and uh. that wasn't true when, even when I, when I started Mm-hmm. So um, that was now the the thing about the the fifth fifth fourth in the movie Glory mm-hmm. um, that that did open up open up people's um, certain African Americans minds that uh, there was more to that that period of time uh, because as we as we go, we do a lot of presentations I do a lot of presentations and we do a lot of, mm-hmm. we do a lot of activities and and I'll tell you some of the things that we do as bad would be when I get that would be very quickly, but just sure. the 54th. Actually, the 50th, uh, and, and even in reenacting, the first units were uh, units that were in, in the movie Glory, mostly from the Washington, D.C. area and the um, Boston area, and some of these were, were descendants of the members of those, those original 54th people that were in the movie Glory. And, um, but then, like I said, we, we formed a unit in, in South Carolina, and 
there were some other units formed in, in Pennsylvania and some of the others, and even now, right now, it, it, there are quite a few units of this war. But the other USCT units, and I'll tell you where they were from. They weren't from the East Coast even, uh, North and South Carolina. They were from Louisiana, which, which mm. has a tremendous USCT history of how they even came about. I mean, really, really interesting. Uh, something like 24,000. In Kentucky, uh, or just a, a few less. In Tennessee, now, these were all participants in the Western theater of the Civil War. But we know that the Army of Northern Virginia and the Army of the Potomac sort of, uh, uh, in most of our minds, I think, historically, have been the, um, the, the important factions of that, of that war. Mm-hmm. So um, even in North Carolina, there, there were just three units. And in South Carolina, just just two, two and then three, and and part of a third. And th- th- they were they were part. They were they took them part. They they took part in, in important battles, but nothing like the important battles that took place in the West and even to the North, like up in Virginia. As we know, Virginia had the most battles by far, and then mm-hmm. um, a Tennessee, and the one. Sort of a question that I talk to people when I'm, when I'm giving presentations to, is to ask them which state do they think had the third largest number of battles? Uh, you know, Virginia around 500 and Tennessee around 300. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will always, they will never get the answer. And the answer, of course, is Missouri. Ah. Uh, and, and, and then some of the other southern states because they always, they always misguess that. Mm-hmm. But um, so. Oh, my, oh, my my experience, uh, being with the 54th up until uh, three or four years, and then we formed a unit in here in South in the northern part of the state, up around up around Florence. It was this second U.S. first South Carolina U.S. colored troops. Later, mm-hmm. later the the uh, 33rd USCT, and I don't know. Now I'm seeing some things that if you're not if you're not privy with 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 hold the whole structure of that the way they were formed. First, they were they were just like local local troops or state troops, and then the United States government formed a uh, department of of color troops, and then renamed them, and all of that. But all that's part of the the uh, actually uh, intricacy of, of what went on at that period of time. Mm-hmm. So after, after the Having been in that unit, I was starting to get a little old, and I couldn't really do the infantry activities. So we we formed we got some some folks here in the Wilmington, North Carolina area, and formed with the help of, of course, it's it's always here in the South. The, the reenactment community is very very close, very dependent, and also very helped by um, the white con, con, uh, white Confederate reenactment unit. And uh, they helped us to get this. In fact, they, they allowed us to use their cannons and all. And we were formed. Um, we, we're a regiment of Colorado uh, Artillery. It's an unprofit organization uh, based in the Wilmington, North Carolina area. But, but participating members from South Carolina, we even had one from Virginia. Uh, we, had the distinct, we had the distinction of being the first black Civil War reenactment unit in North Carolina. Now there's um, an infantry unit up in the Kinston area. Uh, we've been fulfilling that, you know, that goal of enjoying the uh, the experience. They, they call it a hobby, once again. And then mm-hmm. also honoring the legacy of black Union and Confederate heroes, 
and educating the public about the role, of course, African-Americans in the Civil War. We were formed in around 2001. Uh, about that time, we were, we were very active in some things. When the, when the, when the Hunley was, was raised, we were mm-hmm. part of the delegation on the USS Yorktown that received the, uh, the, um, the public's first viewing of the, the raising of the Hunley. And then we were also invited to attend the African American History Monument in in, um, in in Columbia, South Carolina, which which is the very first only such monument on the state house grounds of any state in the country, and these kind of things. But anyway, when we were formed, we um, we we do living histories, authentic and diverse portrayals of, and then we do the battle reenactments. Uh, we we we. we of course, using historically accurate equipment, scripts, and interpretations and exhibits. For instance, in 2007, we participated in over 10 full-scale you know, war battle reenactments in the Carolinas and Virginia. Well, let me ask you about how, how getting involved in that. Uh, you mentioned using a, a cannon, for example, from another unit. Uh, if, if somebody wants to start a civil war artillery battery, you can't just go to Walmart and buy a 12-pound Napoleon. Uh, where, where do you get a cannon? Oh, they're, they're, they're available, first of all, through, uh, through other owners, and of course they're um, um, not, not settlers, but actually cannon builders mm-hmm. throughout the country. They can actually build, and so some artisans can sort of build their own. But no, they're available for purchase. You can actually purchase one with, without any problem at all. They, they are. Well, then I guess the next step is how do you learn how to uh, how to operate one? Well, what, well, this is where, and and I know simply because we don't have a whole lot of time, and you can't be too specific about at any one area of our conversation. But mm-hmm. for instance, when we when we were, like I said, we get together to join to form this unit. It was really with uh, with the Confederate unit, and of course there are for safety reasons. There's a very strict code um, of learning, and so we were we were actually taught. It's called the School of the Peace. So we're certified. We're certified by um, throughout the country and on, on public grounds, uh, state mm-hmm. grounds, because we know that we have been actually certified with a properly uh, certified agency, and that's the United States uh, uh, Artillery Association. And they give hmm. certifications, so we're actually we're actually certified, and you're taught all the procedures because remember this is black powder, and it's a lot of black powder, and yeah. and and it's extremely uh, uh, volatile. So, but but you're taught, so we learn that we learn how to do that before any of our members are allowed to even uh, go into a battle with one uh, mm-hmm. on a piece. I just so, answered your question. Go on. I'm sorry. No, that, I'm just fascinated by the uh, uh, the aspect of reenacting artillery because I, I mean I could picture myself joining a unit and learning how to carry a musket and, and load it, but uh, artillery is a whole different uh, ball game. I mean, you've got a lot of powder there if, if you're transporting uh, the piece. If you've got horses, that becomes dangerous. Uh, the gun itself weighs a lot. Uh, so, so it's not something to do lightly. You said this is more an addiction than a hobby, but I can see how it would take a lot of time. Well, no more than really the infantry, and because, like I said, 
Um, we uh, there, there's a there's a very for safety reasons, and mm-hmm. that comes first. And we, there have been accidents. We've even been, we haven't been involved, but we've seen accidents happen mm-hmm. uh, where people have gotten careless. But no, you are before you can actually participate. You really are trained to deal with black powder, even in, in the infantry and a musket. Mm-hmm. That's black powder too. True. So uh, it's really not as as it's it's like anything else. You are prepared for it, mm-hmm. and and then it becomes more an enjoyable hobby. But first, it has right. to be safe. So your unit has appeared. You're saying at a lot of these events, uh, uh, various uh, commemorations and, and reenactments. Uh, do you uh, do you add new members to your yes, unit regularly? Yes. Oh yes, all the time, all the time. In fact, we're we're short members now. Because, once again, um, you have to remember, this is new to the African-American community, and, mm-hmm. um, but it's good. We're, we're, I, one thing I will say, that all the reenactors that I know, especially the black reenactors, they're so addicted to, and that they're so uh, energized to relay what we learn, because as, as, as living historians... We do a lot of investigation. We do a lot of research. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. see, see my own personal copy of books like uh, of, uh, of books about uh, that uh, that we get from professionals who actually um, put this material together. But we we, we have a a, a, void, a real um, a, um, wide variety. And we share, we share, especially when we have encampments. When like you were at at uh, Plymouth, but we were there mm-hmm. for two nights. Well, those mm-hmm. evenings is when you actually and you get together with the people from other, from you know, all out of state, all over uh, uh, the units, and then you share what you know, and and we're all highly uh, motivated with what we know, and we share. So that's what makes makes this so rewarding, and mm-hmm. we're anxious to actually impart this, especially we in the African-American uh, uh, community. Now, when we participate in the Isaiah uh, parades, the MLK parades, and things like that, and, and, but we're, we're we, yes, we are recruiting. Now, mm-hmm. let's say how we came about selecting this, uh, you know, just a brief history of the original Battery B. Yeah. We knew we wanted to be artillery. So we went, of course, to the uh, lexicon, and, and we selected the, the fourth light artillery unit that was, that was uh, formed yeah, for, for color troops, and that was that was um, Battery B under Captain Francis Shote, uh, composed mostly of former slaves from Maryland and Virginia. Now the battery was trained at Fort Monroe near Hampton, Virginia. So it wasn't a North Carolina battle site. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. heavy artillery unit in North Carolina, but not this was for Virginia. Mm-hmm. By 1874, we had achieved strength of 149 soldiers, like I said, for mostly former slaves from Maryland and Virginia. As part of the color division of the U.S. 18th uh, Corps, it participated in the Richmond area and Petersburg siege campaigns in 1864, of course, mm-hmm. supporting infantry troops at Fort Pocahontas, Ring Hill, these are battles we do now, we reunite now, mm-hmm. City Point, and some others. Um, after the surrender, 
the battery was assigned to the Texas Panhandle, where the last skirmish of the Civil War took place uh, out of Rio Grande, and muscled out of service in 1866, so just a four-year union. <clears throat> but the, the, the fascinating thing about this, the original, like I said, we took this, the name, this particular battery no, for no particular reason, didn't, didn't have a real glorious, but we have to realize overall two things. One, um, color suits weren't even allowed in the Union Army until halfway through the war. Mm-hmm. That, I, I have to realize if they don't, they, you know, they're sort of missing the picture. And afterwards, like I said, it wasn't until after the so-called, and I say so-called, and I'm sure you understand why I say so-called Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. uh, um, it really didn't free anybody, but, but anyway, for practical purposes, it, it worked. Until after, uh, after the Emancipation Proclamation, that the battles, the battles in, the, in the West, out in Tennessee and Kentucky and Louisiana, that was where these slaves were recruited from. Mm-hmm. So there was a large recruitment after the Emancipation Proclamation, a large, huge recruitment of these folks from out there. That's why um, the numbers just add up ferociously from, from those states out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the black troops were in the wars, of course, um, some well-known, like Fort Pillar and, and some of the others, but they were, uh, the, the, most of the Medal of Honor winners were in those battles out there, from U.S. colored troops, and as you may or may not know, uh, the Civil War produced over 20, 2024 Congressional Medal of Honor winners, U.S. colored troops. Hmm. That was more Congressional Medal of Honor winners um, than all the subsequent wars. Um, uh, maybe now, after some of the current wars, that that hmm. number has increased. But that that's how Gall- they were they were fighting that because that's where the action was taking place with USCTs. Um, like I said, our unit here, you see where they were, where they took place, and of course we get a chance to reenact these battles now, uh, or some of them, mm-hmm. in historical. But there's so much about our perspective, and when I say our perspective, I'm not talking, really talking about our involvement, uh, the involvement of African Americans in this, in that study, in that period of time, that it opens up a lot of um, a lot of understanding. Uh, for instance, uh, not only just that period of time, but I've, I've, I've been able to now go back, regress back to before that, doing slaveocracy, and, and and then of course even afterwards. And and the one thing I'll tell folks that when I'm giving a presentation and trying to get a point across is that um, the southeast, the southeastern part of the United States the area we know as the South, mm-hmm. has always, from the very beginning, certainly in the matter of uh, human relations and, and race and things like that, uh, has been, it still is, very intricate. Now, I like, yes. I like the, the better uh, definition of, of intricacy as confusingly complicated. Because <laughs> well, uh, let me interrupt you again. We're going to take another short break uh, and, and think about the complications involved there. Uh, for listeners, if you're interested in learning more about uh, this organization, uh, there's a website, U.S. Colored Civil War Reenactors, 
that's all one long word, uh, Google that phrase and it'll take you there. Uh, we'll come back and talk more with Marvin Nicholson, Sergeant Major of Battery B, 2nd Regiment, U.S. Colored Light Artillery. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Marvin Nicholson of Battery B, 2nd United States Colored Light Artillery, a reenactment organization. We've been talking about the, uh, the role of uh, reenactors in bringing the story of African-American participation in the war to the public. And I will say, I was really struck when I saw your unit at the, uh, uh, the event in, in Plymouth, North Carolina a few weeks ago. Because it had, you know, I'd seen images of, of USCT photographs and uh, lithographs and so on, but always infantry. And then you and your comrades suddenly are, are firing up a, 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 a was it a Napoleon you were firing a twelve pounder or that was that 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 was a um, a rifled. That was a rifle because it wasn't ours. And like I said, we uh, we mm-hmm. we have folks that uh, units that have cannons mm-hmm. lend them to us right on the spot if we need to. If we need to, right. we don't have our own yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but that was not a Napoleon. That was a, a, a okay field rifle. Well, it 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 was very impressive. Uh, you know, the uniforms are very sharp with the red trim uh, and. 
it, it, it made an impression, and, and I was curious to learn more, and glad we got a chance to talk about it. You've mentioned a couple times that other reenactment units in the South, uh, uh, Confederate ones in particular, have been very helpful uh, to you, and that doesn't surprise me. I think people who, who are that interested in the war are, are going to welcome anyone else with a similar interest. What kind of reaction do you get from the public generally uh, uh, when you appear in parades or at reenactments? Do people, do you get people coming up and saying, I didn't know they had uh, black cannoneers? Yes, less and less or so now, but yes, mm-hmm. yes that was, that, that's true, that's true. And that's why, um, I don't know if you probably noticed, we're, we're probably, we're, we're photographed quite a bit because people are, this is sometimes, we are sometimes the first time that people have seen um, that representation right. in, in, in this war. Uh, I want to say very quickly, you mentioned about sure. uh, we, we don't, um, yes, actually, it's, we are, we're recruiting, we, we, need, we, need, we need reenactors really bad. What we really need, mm-hmm. and as you know, historically, and we try to be his, as historical as possible, Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, um, as you know, the units, uh, the color units were, were uh, had officers that were white. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we, we've never had a white officer. We've sort of been sort of in a quasi-autonomous uh, unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've never had that problem because um, we get people, volunteers, they, you know, they were volunteer to serve as the captain or the officer of the unit of the mm-hmm. company in every event. Uh, we could use that. <laughs> we could use someone <laughs> that's interested in a, 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 a white person that's interested in, in, in uh, maybe uh, talking to us about uh, making us a little more historically uh, accurate by um, serving in that capacity. Now, let me ask you then a question about reenacting in general and, and accuracy, because uh, you know there are some people uh, who are, are really dedicated to accuracy at an extraordinary level, and then every, everybody has his or her own threshold for it. But what I'm getting at is that, uh, yes, you had white officers and black soldiers in the war, so it makes sense for a reenactment unit to have a white officer and black right, soldiers. Right. Uh, on the other hand, you have very few women in the war, maybe a few hundred fought in disguise, but there are women who want to participate, and some units will have them will have women participate. And this one will cut to to you and me both. Uh, the soldiers were a lot younger than we are. Yeah. And yet yet people uh, 50 and up want to participate. And most units won't, you know, we'll, we'll let that go. Um, so what I'm wondering is, is, you know, where do we draw the line to, if you had all white, Members, you wouldn't be a USCT unit, uh, but if you have all older fellows, then you're not really a younger unit. Uh, where do you draw the line? Well, as in, first of all, in the reenactment community, uh, age and probably some other physical uh, problems will will dictate whether. Uh, you're going to remain an infantryman, or you're going to become an artillery person, mm-hmm. because uh, of course, as artillery, we don't have to march and all that. So, as older True. folks, like I'm 
78 years old. And uh, uh, some of the... Um, serious, I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> and and, I, and you, you saw them here, a couple of our members were, were pretty old, and you'll see that in, mm-hmm. in all of the units. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I don't know. In the reenactment community, I personally, I, I don't see trying to uphold those two standards, as the, except, except for the one with the officers. I, I think that's pretty important to have... Uh, because From an educational point of view. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and most reenactors, we, we don't have a problem with that, certainly here in the South. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask one other question about your unit specifically. At the event, I saw one of your uh, comrades in the battery uh, wears, wearing his hair in, in dreadlocks. Right. Uh, which, you know, historically, I'm guessing is probably not accurate. But it'd be a big sacrifice to tell someone, well, you can be in our unit, but you've got to cut your hair. Uh, that struck me as, as an impressive comment, like that, that that fellow was saying, I want to be in this, uh, and, but I'm, I am who I am. Uh, right. How does that go over? That's, that, that's the way, it, that's the way it's, it's dealt with, just as you said it. And that, not only that, that but in, in, in any of the things that we've probably would not have uh, accepted it, uh, realizing it as being proper at the mm-hmm. time. But I'm not that sure that that wasn't, that red locks were not part of That's the, true. Uh, it, you know, the, it could yeah. have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I think maybe maybe some of the slaves did, uh, did have point. to hear that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, good observation. Thanks. I, I like that. I like, I, I learned so much in every encounter with I don't care who I'm talking mm-hmm. to I just learned so much and I'm just learning and learning and learning I can't learn enough and I, I I'm just it's, I'm out of my mind because I, I got in this <laughs> at such a late age uh, and I'm really learning about history now we're talking about the intricacies of the of the southeast boy yeah like, wow does that blow your mind it, 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 again, you mentioned, I think when we were on the field there, you mentioned that there are a lot of units galvanized. They'll, they'll wear uh, the other side's uniform so you get an even number of troops at a reenactment. Uh, have you worn Confederate uniforms? Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and um, all right, now you just hit another subject there. I, I, I belong to um, 20th North Carolina, which is a Confederate unit, and I, I've, I'm... Um, I have portrayed the Confederacy. In fact, at the 135th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, I was uh, I took the role of William McLee, who was the body servant of, of uh, Robert E. Lee. So at that mm. that great in, that great uh, reenactment, 35,000 uh, reenactors, I wow. stayed in the tent there, didn't uh, <laughs> get the general up in, and it was hot. It was hot like crazy, and that was some years ago. But but oh yes. First of all, in the South, uh, you have to have galvanizers because there's not enough Northerners to portray the uh, right. you know, the, the Yankees. Mm-hmm. But uh, and very few units will not galvanize. Just, I mean, really few. Most do, and we do too. We've even we've even galvanized as a unit in in Florence. We were a black um, artillery unit, which we still were. And of course, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, the the. Um, Confederate emancipation, but but and a lot. But anyway, no, I have portrayed to answer your question. I portray a, a lot of presentations. Uh, I do a lot of presentations on black Confederates, on black Confederates, and, and I've got personal um, 
involvements with here in South Carolina, like Dad Brown, there uh, when the state gave the, um, did the marker to commemorate mm-hmm. him. Uh, I, mean, I was part of that ceremony, and, and there was another it was that largest black uh, congregation in Darlington, South Carolina, found in their cemetery about fifteen uh, Confederate black Confederate soldiers. Four of them were cavalry, so I was part of that celebration. So, oh yes, I do that. Yes, we do that. Hmm. We recognize that there were, there was this involvement of African Americans in the Confederacy, in whatever, in either way, you know, with body servants or whatever. But of course, right. some was past that. Yeah. Now that I mean that touches, and I don't want to open a can of worms with just a few minutes left. Um, there are still some people who who take a political view of the war. Uh, and and especially, I've certainly met Civil War enthusiasts who who enjoy the nostalgia of it, the mm-hmm. his the escapism of it, and they don't want to even think about issues like slavery that that point to the politics of it. Right. So for them, reenacting is an escape from race. And if your unit is present, does that make them uncomfortable that you've brought race back into the battlefield? No, no. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm, and when you say you've, just spoke with, you've talked to people, I don't know if they were reenactors, but uh, in the reenactment experience I've had for almost 20 years, it's been, it's been just the opposite. Hmm. In fact, I've learned more about <laughs> my, my uh, history mm-hmm. from... Uh, White reenactors. No, no, no. In my experience, I would I would not say no. That is, that so, is not, that's not a problem. Well, so let me give again that website address I'm looking at here: U.S. Colored Civil War Reenactors. dot yola site. dot com. Uh, that uh, is that uh, the the main website for your unit now? Yes, yes that is that is okay. So if people are interested in going there, uh, you're listed as a charter member, uh, along with several others. Uh, so what, what's, what's next for your unit? Do you have presentations coming up? Um, yes, we actually have, have a battle that we're invited to in Virginia this month that we're not going to be able to get. But uh, the Juneteenth activities, we participate in those. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are battles we, uh, that we have on our agenda uh, out of state, uh, Kentucky, uh, Virginia, of course, the Battle of Fort Pocahontas. I'm not familiar with that, but that's an, that's where an all black unit, of course, repelled uh, a Confederate uh, cavalry unit. Hmm. Uh, um, but yes, these the, the more we, we become aware of of where there there were the participation of our ancestors, that we 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 try to become involved with that with those. But there were most. Uh, there were uh, actually there were probably African Americans involved, whether they were con- Confederate uh, uh, servants or whatever. But and that you know that that whole talking about the the, the complex, uh, how the the colored people, men, women that were that were involved in the Confederacy were treated more humanely than the colored in the in the federal army. Even to the point of, of getting uh, 
this equal pay as the white troops, and of course that wasn't true in the North. There was just, there was just so much to learn that we don't understand. But that was there's just a lot of a lot of complexities there, a lot of confusion. Yeah, and complexity is a good word for it. it, it you're absolutely uh, correct about that. Anyone who looks to study the past because they think it was a simpler time yes, uh, or yes, easier to understand, that, they're yes. going to be disappointed because yes, yes. Very, very, and that, that's what we do as reenactors, living history. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get people to realize it really wasn't as simple as uh, a couple of movies has uh, uh, taught us over the years. Things are getting better with the writing, though. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of good, good, good uh, material coming out now on a lot of the lost information. A lot. So. Well, I, I appreciate learning about this. Uh, as I said, your your unit made a, a large impression on me. I was very interested to see it and glad we got a chance to talk more about it this evening. Um, and I hope you carry on with the mission of uh, you know, bringing this history to the public in, in all kinds of forums. Uh, we are unfortunately just about out of time, so I, I will you know, wish you success in the future and remind people again, U.S. Colored Civil War Reenactors uh, is the name of the website where people can learn more about Battery B, 2nd U.S. Colored Light Artillery. Uh, consider joining it uh, or consider seeing when it's next in, uh, uh, at a reenactment or a living history camp. So, uh, Sergeant Major Marvin Nicholson, thank you very much for uh, joining me tonight on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And um, listeners, oh, go ahead. I just, I just, I just want to say... There is so much to about this period of time and about, and about our history that uh, uh, to just narrow it to just one aspect of it. There's just so many aspects of it that that could could carry on that that could bring about a great uh, deal of understanding, a correct it, understanding it, of what it was like back then. It, it's true. There, there's, there's fortunately no end uh, of material for us to study. And uh, listeners, you'll want to learn more about it. Uh, we all will. And uh, we'll be able to do so next week on more of Civil War Talk Radio. Listeners, thank you for listening and see you next week. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.